0: Our reading of scripture today comes from the first psalm, psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. But the way of the wicked will perish. May God add his blessing to our reading of Scripture.
1: Let's pray together. Oh, gracious Lord, as we begin this series today on the book of Psalms, we just ask for you to meet with us. We, we ask that your word would bring comfort and hope in the midst of a variety of pains and difficulties that... Um, people are in that are going to hear uh, these messages over the next number of weeks. I pray that um, we've come to love your word more because of our time spent in this great book. I pray that we'd come to know you and love you more. I pray that we would come under the greater authority of the lordship of your son as we see how deeply you care for us and how all of the hope and the promises in the word are yes in Christ. And so Lord, you know where we're at today, you know each of us, you know where our hearts are, you know what um, our futures hold, and so we thank you for a great book that can weather the storms of life, and so we pray that you would use it now to be a help, um, our hope, and our healing, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. In my library, I have a number of books, and there are some that are particularly special and meaningful, and this would be one of them. Before I was in seminary, I worked at a, Kriegel, at a bookstore called Kriegel Bookstores in Grand Rapids, and uh, they had, as a part of their bookstore, a used bookstore in the basement. And uh, one day when I was uh, making my way down there, I found uh, this particular New Testament. And it's a Dutch New Testament. And that's significant. My father, uh, for me, I bought it because my father was born in the Netherlands. My grandmother, 99 years old this year, um, and uh, still living and uh, speaks Dutch, calls me her domini, which is the Dutch word for pastor. And uh, so there's some sentimental value as to why I purchased this New Testament. But the reason that it caught my eye was because it's a New Testament and Psalms. And um, it was printed in 1909, so it's well over 100 years old. And what captivated me about this particular collection of the New Testament and the Psalms was that more than half of what you see here is the Psalms. And in fact, it was presented in a way that really grabbed me. You see, not only is the Word of God here, but also each and every one of these Psalms are set to music. There's a musical score with every Psalm. Every single one has a, almost a chant-like tone or a song that goes along with it and when I saw that it just struck me and it was pretty significant to think that every psalm not only has great words but also was intended to be sung and I thought my goodness what would it be like to sing the psalms Then brought back some memories as a kid when I was in a little bit of a liturgical church and we would sing through particular psalms, not many of them, but what if you had all of the psalms and you could sing all of them? Wouldn't that just make them even more significant and more meaningful? Maybe even getting back to the original intent of what psalms was written for. About five years later, I was um, then a pastor and was um, doing a nursing home uh, service next door to our church. And this was in Holland, Michigan, so it had a ton of uh, Dutch people who were in that community. And uh, so I was doing the service that I, that I normally did, and um, I was giving my 15 to 20-minute sermon. And as often was the case, the uh, folks who were in my service, most of them were sleeping, and that's just part of the drill. And um, so as I was going through my, the end of my sermon, uh, a, a, an old Dutch woman has, at the end said, uh, Pastor, may I sing a song? And I thought, what's it going to hurt? They're all asleep anyways, you know, worst, <laughs> worst case scenario, they wake up and we're done. I mean, so I said, sure, go ahead. What happened next was next was just remarkable. She began to sing, and I didn't recognize the song at all. I didn't recognize the tune. And the minute that she began to sing... One by one, the people who were in this 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 service began to sing along with her, even people who I thought were sleeping. It was sort of like that movie Awakenings, when suddenly they're they're like there. And there was even a woman who was, she looked almost comatose over in the corner, and she was mouthing the words to this song. And as they sang, I just stood back and just watched this remarkable, spiritual, sacred ground moment, and a couple of them had tears streaming down their face. I was like, what in the world is going on? So afterwards, I, um, I stopped her, and I said, ma'am, could I just ask you, what song did you sing? I never heard that. And she said, oh, that's one of the Dutch favorite songs. It's Psalm 68. Really? So I went back to my office, and I looked up Psalm 68. No wonder... They were had tears in their eyes. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exalt before God, they shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. So just think of the significance, not only of the words, but but if you could put them to music, how even more significant the Psalms would be. It's no wonder that they woke up. It's no wonder they sang with tears in their eyes. And I think it illustrates a really important point, and that is that the Psalms, like no other book in the Bible, have a real significant power within them. In fact, really, if you think about it, there really is a song or a psalm for every season of life. My, my guess is that you could probably think back to a particular time in your life when you were really hurting, when you were really joyful, or when you were all alone and you opened up the Bible and you, your eyes landed on a particular psalm and you read through it and you were just like, you know what, this is for me. This is for me. Maybe you, like me, put little notes in the margin of your Bible, write a date or a moment. I have a big, um, wide-margin Bible in my office, and to a particular season of my life, took lots of notes, and there were various moments when God met me in particular psalms. The the beautiful thing about psalms is that whether it's joy or grief, whether it's sorrow or fear, whether it's uncertainty or crisis, there's, there's a psalm. That addresses those issues. Whether it's gratitude or joy, hope or love for God, the Psalms speak to where we really live. Whether it's worries or anger and even frustration... The Psalms address what's going on inside of our hearts, and they remind us of rich truths that we often forget. And I think that's one of the reasons why we love the Psalms so much. It is that through every season of life, through everything that we're going through, through crisis, through joys, through victory, the the Psalms put into words what we feel. And so you read them and you go, yes, yes. That's what I feel. They connect our hearts to God. That's what they do. The Psalms serve as a conduit between our daily life, our daily experience, our feelings, and our Creator. Today we begin a 10-week series and we're going to spend some time wandering around the Psalms and we're going to find how relevant this ancient songbook is to where we live And what's more, I think that as we go through these Psalms, you will find new passages that really capture how you feel, what's going on inside of your soul. This is a songbook for the soul. So I'd love for this summer, if I could just kind of create a spiritual goal for you for the summer, I'd love for this summer to be a number of days, weeks, and a couple months where you just really find a new level of joy in God's Word and particularly in the Psalms. And to try and help you with that, our staff would like to issue you as a church a bit of a challenge. We'll call it the summer challenge, if you will. And there's two things that we'd like to invite you to do. The first would be, is we'd like to invite you to memorize two psalms. Now we're going to go easy on you. Psalm 1, if you just are here today, you're going to be 90% of the way there. And then Psalm 34, which is a little bit longer. And the challenge to you would be to memorize about three or four verses a week for the next 60 days. Come on, you can do that. And... And then by the end, you'll have Psalm 1 and Psalm 34 memorized. And then the second thing is to read through all 150 psalms. And so we've designed a, a Bible reading program over the next 60 days. In fact, if you, if you have a copy of the manuscript, if you look all the way to the end, you'll see that on the bottom, underneath the copyright and everything else, is the weekly memorization, and then also the weekly reading plan. If you look carefully, you'll note that although there's seven days a week, I've only given you five days of reading. So this is a grace-based system, okay? Because, come on, we know you don't have devotions every seven days a week, so um, at least not real devotions. So anyways, that's the sidebar. So uh, five different readings that uh, that you could enjoy there. And if you stick with that, by the time that you're done, all the way 60 days in, you'll have read through all 150 Psalms. And let me ask just... Take this challenge, and maybe go one step further. Take time and read them out loud. Because I think you'll see the richness, the depth, and the beauty of what the Psalms are all about. And I'm telling you, if you read the Psalms, you'll meet God in fresh and new ways. You'll have a greater confidence in God's Word. You'll know that the Bible speaks to where you really live. You'll come away with a hunger and a love for God and His Word. So take the next 60 days, and let's challenge each other to memorize and to read the book of Psalms, and let's see what happens. So this morning what I want to do is give you an introduction to this whole book, 150 different Psalms. And I want to try and help you understand what this book is all about, because over the next 10 weeks we're going to look at a lot of different Psalms. And because of that, and because of the unique genre of literature that it is, we really need to get our bearings as to what this book is all about, and how to handle it from an interpretive standpoint. What makes it unique? Well, first, what's the focus of the book of Psalms? The the book of Psalms has a very unique focus. It is a collection of songs that are the expressions of the heart spoken to God or spoken to other people about God. So the Psalms serve as a conduit for your soul. They're designed to be an expression coming from your heart to capture the wide range of emotions that you feel when you become a worshiper of the creator God. Every imaginable emotion that you could think of is found in this scriptural songbook, and I think that's why we love it and why it is so helpful. You see, the Psalms give expression to what we feel. They remind us what God is like. They... they. They enter our world. They say things the way that that we feel and how we think. And in that respect, they are incredibly comforting. In fact, when you read the Psalms, you get the impression that the psalmist just really understands. He's lived where you've lived. He's hurt like you've hurt. He's had joys like you've had. And it's really helpful. I don't know about you, but it's really helpful for me that I have people in my life who just understand You know what I mean? People who are not just going to give their advice, but people who just really understand what's going on. In fact, the older I get, the more important it is that that, that I've seen that it's just really critical that you have people who either understand you or that you just understand them. I remember when I learned this lesson kind of the hard way in marriage, I've come to discover that what my wife needs more than anything is for me just to understand. She doesn't need my input or advice. In fact, more often than not, she just, just needs me to understand. When I candidated here, I told you the story of the moment when I learned this, but those of you who've joined us since then, I think it's helpful. And for me, it's, it's the most illustrative moment of when I just kind of got this in my brain We've been married, I don't know, five, six years or so, and I came home, and my wife was on the couch. She was upset about something, and so I sat next to her. I said, honey, what's the matter? So she began to tell me what the problem was, and of course, within like 30 seconds, I knew what she should do about it, and uh, so so wh- while she was telling me, I interrupted her. said, hey, here's what you need to do. Do this, do this, this. The problem solved, and then, then she looked at me with this look, and I said, what? And she said, um... Who, who are you right now? It, that was the first clue that I was in trouble right then. So I said, um, I don't know. I said, uh, uh, She said, Who are you? Are you my husband or are you my counselor? Ooh,
0: uh,
1: and I said, um, Well, which one would you like? <laughs> and she said, I would like my husband. And I said, Okay, great. Um, if he were here, what what would he be doing? And she said, he would be quiet and he would listen. And I said, gotcha. Let me, let me go get him. And I walked out. (laughs) True story. I walked out, came back in, sat in the couch and we restarted the conversation. And and what that illustrates for us and for me was this, that more often than not, friends, what we need is someone who just plain old understands. Someone who says, "I get it. I've been there," and and that's what the Psalms do. They are like an understanding friend who just says, "You know what? I've been there. I've had that thought. I've felt that way, whether it's in joy or sorrow, whether it's in pain or grief." And that's why we love the Psalms so much because they're real. They're gutsy. They're just they're just they just understand. And so the focus of the Psalms is more on the heart. Trying to understand, really, what it means to be a human being in the world. In fact, if you read through the Psalms, I promise you, you're going to find particular sections of scriptures that you will just be amazed at and say, you know what, that's exactly how I feel. Now, Psalms is unique in its genre. What you need to understand that it's poetry. It's, it's written as a song. And so, therefore, you have to approach it a little bit differently, the book speaks to the mind, but it speaks to the mind through the heart. It speaks to the mind and through the emotions. So this book is more about feelings than thinking. That's going to bug some of you who are really linear kind of people. You know, you're like an engineer or an accountant. Hey, listen, we love you. We're glad you're part of God's family. This book's going to drive you nuts because the reality is you can't you can't just say it normally or in a linear fashion there's emotions that flow through this passage so it's it's poetry it's focused more on response than analysis so if you approach a psalm and you're trying to analyze it and that's the challenge that i'm going to have every sunday is trying to analyze a psalm that that's like trying to analyze um a mother's day card like, your mom's reading, and she's like, well, what did you mean by this? And that is that in the past or present tense? I mean, after a while, you're like, just read the card, Mom, right? You're just, just, I, I'm trying to express to you my heart. And, and while some level of analysis is important, what we need to realize is that the Psalms should be taken just kind of how they are. And so be careful about overanalyzing, analyzing especially given the fact that the Psalms use lots of metaphorical language. For instance, Psalms 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. So if you overanalyze that, you can say, The Lord is my rock? What does it mean he's my rock? So he's using a metaphor. He's he's, he's my rock. Just leave it right where it is. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. If you have to overanalyze or explain what the word means, it loses the value of it. In the same way, if you said to your wife, Honey, you are my everything. And she goes, well, what do you mean by everything? Do you mean like everything, everything or just some things, everything? You're like, oh, I just said everything, right? Just take my words for what they are. Overanalyzing them steals the beauty of what the words are, what their intent is. Or there's also hyperbole in the Psalms. For instance, Psalm 42, 3, my tears have been my food day and night. So he uses language that's just way over the top. My tears have been my food. And you could say, well, every day, every night, your tears, you're eating them? What does this mean? Clearly, what it, what the intent is, is there's crying that's going on, and so there's, there's meaning embedded within the language. There's another thing you need to see called parallelism, Hebrew parallelism. In fact, if you have a Bible, go to Psalm 19, verse 1. I need to show you this, because over and over throughout the book of Psalms, This Hebrew parallelism thing shows up, and it's really important, because if you miss this, you'll miss both the beauty of what's happening in the Psalms, and you you also will will tend to, to miss the connections between verses. Now, there's two ways that you can say something. You could say it rather kind of linearly, or in prose, or just as a statement of fact. For instance, I could say this, God is revealed in his creation, That would be a good thing to say. I could say it lots of different ways. I could say God is revealed in all of his creation. God is revealed in every element of his creation. God is revealed in his creation from eternity past to eternity future. I could say it lots of ways like that, but it's kind of limited, narrow, just factual. Psalm 19 verse 1 says the same thing, but does so in Hebrew parallelism form. Notice what he says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Now in that Hebrew parallelism, we've said the same thing, that God is revealed in His creation, but we didn't say it the same way. Instead, what happens is that every line supports the other one and there's a parallel between them so that the heavens declare the glory of God is saying the same thing as the sky proclaims His handiwork. They're just saying it in two different ways, saying the same exact point. So every line parallels one another and the Psalms are filled with the kind of examples of this sort of approach. And it's really important that you understand this Hebrew parallelism and as well that you understand the metaphorical nature of what's being said, and even the hyperbole that's used throughout this book, or you will make many interpretive errors, and as well, you will not catch the tone, the heart, the substance of what this book is really designed to be all about. Now, the focus, and then also the the genre. Third, I want you to notice that there's different types of psalms. Again, this is important for you to know that not every psalm is the same. And different psalms have different uh, points to them in terms of why they're written and even what they served the body when they were sung. The, the first psalm, there's seven different types or seven different kinds of psalms. The first psalm is psalms of lament. And these are psalms, some of the most precious. They're, they're written when people are in deep pain there's over 60 of these kind of Psalms in the book where someone is really struggling. They're, they're really in a, in a, in the midst of a crucible of hardship. And out of that crucible, they say some things that are just real and gutsy and honest and vibrant. I don't know about you, but it's moments of pain that create some of the greatest clarity in terms of thinking and writing in my own life. When God just becomes really evident and really clear, pain has the ability to to pull away all the clouds of, of life and give us a clear view of both who we are and who God is. That's why Psalm 13 is so precious to me, where the psalmist says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You ever felt like that? I'm so grateful that the psalmist says that because it's like someone who understands. Like, yeah, I've been there. How long will you... Like, God, where are you? Laments are a beautiful form of a psalm that help capture what's going on inside of our soul. There's also psalms of thanksgiving these express gratitude to God because of his many blessings. So what happens is something good happens, and the person then when they receive that good, they, their heart is turned to gratitude. So they, they write a, a love song to God. They, they write a psalm that expresses their gratitude for what God has done. Psalm 65 would be a good example. Listen to it. It says, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. In other words, God, we're so thankful for what you've done, and to you all people bend the knee. This gratefulness flowing from what God has done. So there's lament, there's thanksgiving. Here's the third one, there's praise. This is the kind of psalm that just comes out of a heart of a person because they love who God is, not just because of what God has done. They they just somehow just are enraptured with the beauty of, of what God is like. Psalm 8 would be a good example of this one. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. It's like when I walked outside this morning with a cup of coffee just to catch the the morning air. And I just saw the the warmth of the day. The birds were chirping. And it was just like, God, this is going to be a beautiful day. You ever had one of those moments? And just, God, you're awesome. I love you, God. And this is what's coming from the heart of the psalmist. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the years. Just loving on God because of who God is. The next kind is a psalm of salvation history. In other words, there were moments that Israel recorded sort of its history or moments of God's redemptive acts and then put them to song. And God delivers his people time and time again. And so there's times when the psalmist reviews the mighty deeds of God. For instance, Psalms 78 and verse 1, a verse, by the way, that our Next Generation teams really kind of uses as their premier verse of bringing the salvation from one generation to another. Listen to what it says. We will not hide them, the historical redemptive events, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. And then there were also psalms of celebration, not only of salvation history, but also of celebration, where major moments in Israel's life were happening, sometimes on a regular basis. So there were covenant renewal psalms, where people rededicated themselves to fidelity to their creator. There were royal psalms, psalms that that, that praised God's rule through a king. There were enthronement psalms, the kind of psalms that were sung when a new king was coronated or a new leader um, came on the scene. There were city of jerusalem psalms that people sang as they went up to the city of jerusalem in preparation for a festival there were psalms that professional singers sang in the portico of the temple and in each case there was a special moment that required thoughtful praise to god For instance, Psalm 42 or 46 says this, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. Imagine people singing that as they're making their way up to Jerusalem. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. As well, there are also wisdom psalms, a few of them, that they almost sound like the book of Proverbs. They have some sort of sage advice, wise counsel, for instance, Psalm thirty seven says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of the wrongdoers, for they shall soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herbs. So sometimes the song just takes on a, a bit of wisdom and just helping us to know how to think about life. And then finally is the Psalms of Trust. And these are psalms that express God's goodness and his care for his people, even in the midst of difficult and dire circumstances. And of course, the most famous of these would be Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I, what, shall not want, which means I don't need any other. In other words, in the midst of all the things that are going on, Lord, you're my shepherd, I I don't need anyone else. And there's nine other psalms, just like Psalm 23, that express our trust in God. So you can see that there are as many unique psalms as there are seasons in life. And the great thing is, is that whatever you feel or whatever you're going through, there's a psalm for you which I I hope that for you, that's really comforting to know that God hasn't forgotten about you, that he has a word for you in your season. So if you come today and you're like so happy and full of joy, there's a psalm for you. And as well, if you come today and you feel oppressed and like, you know what, I don't know how I'm going to make it beyond this weekend, there's a psalm for you. You may be in the middle of a season of anxiety and worry, there's a psalm for you. You may be suffering a great loss, there's a psalm for you. You may have sinned horribly over the weekend and you're feeling guilty, there's a psalm for you. And the great thing is is that God has provided for us in his word a sufficient word in the Psalms regarding every season of life that God allows us to be in. I don't know what that does for your soul, but boy, for me it brings hope. It reminds me that God doesn't abandon us. And if I look hard enough and I spend enough time in this book, eventually I'm going to find a word from God about what I'm going through. And that means this Bible is worthy of careful study and regular meditation. So, How do the Psalms help us? The Psalms are helpful to us in ways that are different than other books in the Bible. So I love the narrative of the Old Testament. I love the wisdom of Proverbs. I I love the fire of the prophets. I love the way in which the Gospels give us the story of Jesus' life. And I love the logic of Paul's letters. But there's something really special and unique about the Psalms. And let me just suggest three things that are unique about this book. Here's the first. This book helps us like few others in terms of getting our reverence right. You want a book to help you get an upward view of God? You want a book that takes you away from the horizontal of life? A book that pulls you up from the everyday existence that you have? Boy, Psalms is for you. Because Psalms helps us to become what God has intended for us to be, and that is worshippers. So if you come in the middle of um, your week and you're struggling to go to your time in the Word, you feel like you've got a dry heart or you feel a little bit distanced from, the, from, from God, here's my advice. Grab a psalm and just read it out loud and pray over it. And before you know it, one of my favorite writers, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says that the psalms becomes like kindling for the fire of your soul. It becomes little nuggets that begin to stoke up the flame of your heart. Why? Because it pulls you out of your horizontal perspective and gives you an upward focus. I think that the Psalms, like no other book, serve as a great prayer manual because they really help us in getting the upward focus right and how to see God's face, not just His hand. The second thing, we've already said this but it bears repeating, is that the Psalms help us in terms of the relevance the Psalms just fit our lives really well. Every situation in life that we're in, everything that you're going through, every emotion that you could feel, there's a Psalm for that. And if you dig long enough and you search hard enough, you're going to find God speaking right to the situation and the circumstance that you're in. In fact, in some cases, you're going to read the same Psalm in two different circumstances in life, and you're be remarkable. it's going to be remarkable how differently you hear it because of the season of life that you're in. And that's what Psalms do. They speak to the heart in the midst of various seasons. And then finally, they also help us in terms of having a reflection or having our thinking being reoriented. So Psalms, like few other books in the Bible, help us that when we're in the middle of emotional seasons, they help us to think rightly about God while also being honest about our raw emotions. And I think that it's really important to be a a fully-blooded follower of Jesus. You have to live in both worlds, to be honest about what you feel, but also to be biblical in what you think. See, it's unhelpful if you never give voice or are never honest. You know what? I feel abandoned by God. And if someone comes, well, theologically, that's not correct. You're not abandoned by God. The Bible says you don't want to hear that, right? You just, you don't want to hear a, dial- a, a diatribe on why God hasn't abandoned you. Now, you may know that he hasn't, but there's a feeling that's just there. And the psalmist says, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? And then he has the audacity to say forever. I mean, he's like in God's face. How long will I take comfort in my soul? How long will I have these tears on my bed? And then at the end of Psalm 13, it flips. And he says, but I have trusted in your mercy. And that's the beauty of what the psalmists do, is they don't just let our emotions run just crazy, any direction that we want, but instead it helps us to reorient our thinking so that it's biblical and it's right. And so what this book does, like few others is it gives us this real, gutsy, glorious, awe-inspiring, and beautiful view of what God is all about. And it helps us to live life for His glory in the midst of a real world. That's why this book is so cherished. That's why the Psalms are so special. And that's why I think they're worthy of careful study. It's why it's important for us to study them. Because the beautiful thing is that God's Word can apply to all of our lives in various seasons because this book of Psalms is truly a song for every season of life. So, with that as kind of the backdrop, let's look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is not just the first psalm. It really serves as the thematic introduction for the entire book. The themes that are within the first psalm are picked up and carried all the way through the entire book. And in short, Psalm 1 asks the question, which way are you going to live? what Psalms 1 does is it lays out two paths. And it says there's only two paths in life. There's a path that has God's blessing on it. And there's a path that is a path of worldly unrighteousness. And it lays out these two paths and asks us to ask ourselves, okay, so which path are you going to be on? And then for those who go down the righteous path, we have all these other Psalms that that the, the, the writers give us, Moses, David, Asaph, and others, in order to help us to know what the promises are for those who go down God's path. And so Psalm 1 begs the question, which path are you on? So look at verse 1. We find here the favor of God expressed in one word. It begins, the whole book begins with one word, blessed. Now, that word Jesus unpacks even more fully in the the, uh, Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. But here, the Hebrew word simply means happy. It means joyful. It means satisfaction. The idea is not so much that the person is receiving blessing, but rather it is that the person who goes down this path finds out what real life is about. In other words, that there are two paths. One path is real living, the other is shadow living. One one path is true life, the other is just a shallow life. One has full, robust sense of how God has designed you to be. The other is a broken, marred existence. And so Psalm 1 communicates that there's two very different paths. The word happy is used throughout the Old Testament in various spots, and it, and it, and it means just simply, are you, you, you're happy, you're, you love life, you, there's an enjoyment. For instance, Deuteronomy 33:29 says, Happy are you, O Israel? The Queen of Sheba observed that Solomon's servants were happy under his rule. First Kings 10, it says, Happy are your men, happy are your servants. In other words, there's just a sense that life is right. So to be blessed here means that this person has discovered what life is all about, where true happiness lies, what is really meaningful. They've, they've found the sweet spot, the meaning of life, what it means to really be alive. they found the favor of God. Last night we were hanging around dinner and just did one of those quiet evenings together, and I'm just looking around at my children and my wife, and here we're enjoying life, we're having a good conversation, we're enjoying a you know, grilled chicken salad, and it's just like, you know what, life is good. It's like sweet. This, this, is, this is the way life is supposed to be. You reach that sweet spot, and you're like, you know what, this, this is how life is meant to be lived. And you have little moments like that in your life. And so the psalmist just says, look, there's a path, there's two different paths that you can go down. And the one experiences the full favor of God and the other is half-hearted living. And so he presents two paths. Being on the right path and being on the wrong path, there's a world of difference between the two. And to make that clear, the psalmist sets up the contrast. Now, notice in verse 1, the psalmist begins with the negative path by giving us three sets of threes. The first set is walk, stand, sit. The second set is counsel, weigh, and see. The third set is wicked sinners and scoffers. And so he says here, again, what is this? This is Hebrew parallelism again. So he's really saying the same thing, but saying it three different ways. It doesn't necessarily describe a progression of sin. Rather, it just describes the overall marring of this unrighteous path. And so verse one says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, meaning he doesn't embrace wrong thinking, nor stands in the way of sinners. He isn't joining with the wrong crowd or sitting in the seat of the scornful, meaning he doesn't adopt a sinful attitude. So what he's describing there is here are the elements of a world system. Here's the bad path. The bad path is wrong thinking. The bad path is the wrong crowd, and the bad path is the wrong attitude. And that's the bad path. In contrast to that, the other path is remarkably different. And notice how connected this path is to the word of God. The righteous path is marked by a right desire and then a consistent commitment. So he says that his delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, he loves God's word that word law don't take that to mean just the rules like just the ten commandments or all of the mosaic law The word law means the totality of the revealed will of God through the scripture So his delight is the law. He loves God's word He has this yearning this desire for and then it shows up in what he does So this path this other path this path that's happy is the person who wants to hear from God wants to know God's word and then his delight is in this law And on his law, he meditates day and night, meaning he lingers over, he thinks about, he ponders the meaning, the application of God's word. And again, he's using hyperbole day and night. It doesn't mean that you're more spiritual if you read your Bible in the morning and at night. You could do that, but he's using a metaphor or a hyperbole to describe that his whole life is encompassed by the word of God. In other words, if you want to go down the right path, then you need to know this book. You need to know God's Word. It needs to be a part of the very fabric of who you are. And the picture here is of a person whose affections and his desires are remarkably different than those of the wicked because he actively pursues knowing God and His Word. And therefore, his joy in God leads him to joy in the Word. And the more joyful he is in God, the more joyful he is in God's Word. And that's the path. And he's happy because he knows what it means to be right with God. Listen, there's, there, there is no long-term joy in sin. Oh, I know there's temporary pleasure, but there is no long-term... You know what real joy is? Real joy is in doing things God's way. Can I just remind you, friends, that God's ways work. It works for marriage, it works for family, it works for finances, it works for culture. God's ways work for your heart. And there's nothing more beautiful, more glorious than knowing that my life is in a right relationship with my Creator. It also means that today, if you're like trying to figure out, how come my life just feels so like listless, like I don't know where I'm going, it feels so empty and shallow, the reality is, is that God has created a God-sized hole in your heart for Him. And without Him in that place, your life isn't complete. And for that matter, sin, the things that you do that are wrong and you know they're wrong, they, they violate the very essence not only of God's holiness, but also of your conscience. And so you walk around life trying to do things that you think are going to fulfill you, and although you know they're out of bounds, you do them anyways in hopes that they'll fill you up, and they Find out that then at the end, those things never satisfy. That's half-hearted, shallow living. On the other end of the perspective is this beautiful relationship that God invites us in. In in fact, according to the New Testament, that comes through His Son, Jesus Christ, where we're forgiven of our sins. He gives us new hearts and then tells us how to live. And that's what real life is. So Some of you may think that Christianity is really restrictive, all these do's or don'ts. Actually, the reverse is true. You know what's really restrictive? What's restrictive is guilt. What's restrictive is fear. What's restrictive is doubt. What's freedom, freedom is grace, forgiveness, and wholeness that comes through Jesus Christ. That's really living. And that's the picture of what the psalmist gives us here. And so therefore he gives us two contrasting conditions. And then he uses this tree metaphor to show us this. The, The person whose delight is in God... Who, who loves his word, is like a tree, a tree that's planted by streams of water. Notice that it yields its fruit in season, its leaf doesn't wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. That doesn't mean that everything he does goes well or that he never has any hardship, but it means that in the midst of all circumstances of life, he's got deep roots that go down. If you've ever sat with a person who's dying and they know Christ as their Savior, there's a different death in that case than there is somebody who doesn't know what happens after they die. Fear versus freedom. Whatever he does, he prospers. His roots go down no matter what happens. Job loss, financial difficulties, marriage challenges, different circumstances that happen in life. He's like a tree and through every season of life, he knows that his roots go down and they're deep. They found the spiritual rootedness that is that is discovered in the powerful reality of who God is. He has found the favor of God. In contrast to that are the wicked. The psalmist says very bluntly, the wicked are not so. But instead, they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff was the the husk that was around the corn or around the wheat. You'd throw it up in the air and the good grain would fall to the ground and the chaff would be blown away. Or think of it this way, you've got a lawn with nice green grass, you cut it, what the wicked are like, are like lawn clippings. They're, they're on the driveway, and over a period of time, they're going to be blown away. And the Bible uses that to describe some of our lives, to describe us as though we're, we're listless and pointless. We, we have this existence in the world where we're flighty, and there's, there's a lightiness to our convictions in terms of who we are. And some of you know exactly what it is to live like this. You've seen the fleeting pleasures of what the world can be like. You've seen it all blow away. There have been times when you felt like you were spiritually lost at sea, and there's this nagging sense within you that there's got to be more than life than just this. And that's what Psalms 1 offers you. It says there is. There's another way to live. A life that's not lived just for you and your own pursuit and your just pleasure. Instead, it's a life lived in the beauty of what it means to be in a right, right relationship with your Creator. And then, word of all this, end verse five says that the wicked have no part in God's presence, both now and in the future. It says the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Meaning, there's a judgment that will come, and the wicked will not stand in that day. They will be blown over by the judgment of God. And then in the present time, no sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It means that even when you go do worshipful or spiritual things, there's this sense of I'm faking it. And so the path that he says that some are on is actually a warning of what is to come. Verse 6 says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, which means that the Lord is personally involved in caring for, protecting, loving, cherishing His own. He is their God and they are His people. And that's what the Psalms say. The Psalms say to us, God has got you, He understands, and He's not going to let you go. So no matter what happens or what the devil throws at you or how bad life and circumstances get, the Psalms are like an anchor to your soul because you're on the right path. And the beautiful thing is even in sorrow, you can still be happy. There can be joy because you know, this is what real life is all about. And then it ends... With this, but the way of the wicked will perish, and that's just how it ends. Just bang, just like that. The way of the wicked will perish. In other words, there's two paths in life, and you know what's interesting? The psalmist wasn't the only one to lay out this two path idea. Do you know that Jesus said nearly the exact same thing, except he used a little different metaphor? He said this in um, Matthew. He said, "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide." And the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And there are few that find it. In other words, Jesus says there's two gates. There's the narrow gate, and there's few that find it. And there's the wide gate, where lots of people are going down this path. And here's the deal. There are lots of people going down a path of half-hearted, shallow, pointless living. And on the other side of the fence is Jesus, who says, Look, I'm the narrow gate. Those who come to me find forgiveness. And yes, it's hard to admit you're a sinner. Yes, it's hard to acknowledge that God has a right to dictate what you do in your life. But this is the way that that leads to true life. And not only eternal life, but even life right now. And so the psalmist and Jesus would ask us this very simple question. And it's this, which path are you on? Are you on a path that fits with the beauty of what it means to know Christ as your Savior and to know the favor of God? Or are you on another path that looks more like listless wandering of chaff that's blowing around? And depending on what friend or culture or environment or person or job or book or music that you're reading, your heart goes from here to here to here to here. And my question to you, aren't you sick of living like that? Aren't you just so tired of yourself? Aren't you tired of waking up, looking in the mirror and saying, how in the world could I do that? And when will you not wake up and say, you know what? I need someone to change me from the inside out. I need Jesus. I need him to transform me. And in the Old Testament, the Bible is saying, this is a path for you to go down, a path that receives the joy, the beauty, the favor of God. In the New Testament, Jesus fulfills that in showing us that he's the gate. He's the one by which you enter in. This path that experiences the beauty, the joy of all that God has for us in his Son. And the question, just as we begin the psalm, is pretty simple. Which path are you on, friend? Because there's one path that's half-hearted living, and the other is full, robust joy of what it means to be part of God's economy of goodness and grace. This is a great book. It's going to be a great journey. But you've got to start on the right path. Father, I pray that you'd use... Today, Psalm 1 and this entire book to bring comfort to those who today are filled with sorrow, who need to hear that you understand, who today are feeling lonely. Lord, for those who feel guilt, help them to hear David's words when he said against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Help us to feel the weight of sinning against the holy God. And Lord, I I pray that today... There might be folks who would decide, you know, I'm on a wrong path. I'm on a wrong path. And from Psalm 1, might acknowledge their need today to say, you know what, I need to get my heart right with God. I need to get my heart right with the Lord. Lord, I pray for those who are in the midst of seasons of great joy and satisfaction that you'd use this book to be a help and a guide and an expression of their own soul. So, God, we thank you that this book speaks to the reality of our hearts. Thank you for a sufficient word. And we pray that you'd give us grace to be on the right path. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, we'll have some folks up here to uh, pray for you. If you have some needs, either here or worship too, they're here to be able to minister to you today. Don't go unloved, unprayed for today, all right? God bless you, College Park. I love you. Thanks for coming today.